Oh, yeah, it's dead, so scratch that. Numbers chapter 32 this morning. This morning I want to bring a message directed to those that are backsliding. You may be thinking this morning, well, I'm here at church. Amen, I'm glad you're here at church this morning. You need to be at church. But there's a lot of people that maybe sit in churches around the world this morning that have thoughts on their minds or maybe thinking about what to do tomorrow, what to do next week, what to do next month. And oftentimes it, it may be focused more on something besides God. It may not be focused on what do I need to do for God or how can I live for God. It may be something that, well, next week I may be here. Next week I may be there. I may be going somewhere else. I may be doing something else instead of being in church on the Lord's day. Backsliding is probably, in my opinion, one of the worst sins you can ever commit. Because again, it's those that have been saved, first of all, that understand uh, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that have taken time to read their Bible, to pray, to draw closer to Him, and then decide that they're no longer going to follow Him. So you're making a willing choice of not wanting to do what God would have you to do. So again, in my opinion, and again, that's just for what it's worth, that's me, uh, again, backsliding is probably one of the worst things we could ever do. Whatever it may be, whatever it may be that's drawing us away, that may be pulling us in another direction, we've got to stop and realize that when we do those things, it's going to affect other people. Your sins do not affect just you. There's a lot of people that have that mentality and thinking that, well, my sins affect me. No, your sins affect everybody around you. And we've got to be careful of the things that we are doing. Who are we involving? Who are we bringing in? And a lot of times we think it doesn't matter, but it does matter. We find here in Numbers chapter 32 a group of people that uh, did that very thing. That backslid away from God. That were doing their own thing. Going their own direction. And didn't know that they were involving someone else. We find here in verse number 1 of Numbers chapter 32. Uh, two tribes of people. The tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben. As we study this you'll look that there was someone else that was going to be incorporated into this group of people. And that was half the tribe of Manasseh. What happened and why were they involved? Because, well, they decided to get following someone else who they shouldn't have been. But let's look here where in Numbers chapter 32, we'll be reading in verse number 1. Numbers chapter 32, verse number 1 says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multi uh, multitude of cattle. And when they saw that the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, behold, the place was a place for cattle. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses, and Eleazar the priest, and unto the prince of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, and Dibon, and Jezer, and Nimrah, and Heshbon, and Elilah, and Sheba, and Nebo, and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in the sight let this land be given unto the servants for possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad, and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? Originally when I was looking at this, I thought of a message, Are you going to sit there while I fight? But it just didn't work out. I thought, man, that would be a great title of a message. That's not the direction the Lord led as I was studying this passage of Scripture this morning. But we find here that in this text the effects 
of the backslidden tribes. The effects of the backslidden tribes. Let's have a word of prayer as we get started this morning. Lord, I do love you again. I do thank you for allowing us to have time to meet this morning. Lord, to be able to open up your word once again. Lord, that we've got it here in our native tongue, that we can read it for ourselves. And Lord, apply what we hear. Lord, I ask and pray that you would help each one of us this morning to stop and consider our ways, to think about what it is we're doing and why we are doing them. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to be drawn closer to you from your word today. Lord, speak to hearts as only you can. And Lord, if there is someone here that is not saved, who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, if there is someone here that is contemplating backsliding, getting away from you, Lord, that this message will encourage them to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Lord, direct us and guide us this morning. Help us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it that we can learn from this account and the decision that these two tribes made regarding God's promises? The first thing I want you to see this morning is the doubters of the promise. The doubters of the promise. Again, we find there in verse number 5. They were doubting the promises of God. They had understood what God had uh, given to the nation of Israel. They were ready to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. And they understood that there was going to be some battles that were going to come. There were some things that were going to happen as they crossed that river. And at this point, Moses had named Joshua as his predecessor. And they were patiently waiting to cross the Jordan River. While here, the tribes of Reuben and Gad had a great number of cattle. And they thought, why am I going to cross this river and go into an unknown land that I have no idea what's over there and know if it's going to be any good for all my cattle? They thought to themselves, where I'm at right now is good enough. You know, there's a lot of people today that are sitting at churches that think everything is good enough. Everything is mediocre. Well, let me remind you that God wants nothing more than greatness for His children. He doesn't want you to live a mediocre life. He doesn't want you to be just average. He doesn't want just things to be okay. He wants to give us His very best. We go back and look at Matthew chapter number 14, where again, Jesus is feeding the multitudes. And verse number 20 says, And they did eat. And they were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained at twelve baskets full. They didn't eat till they just satisfied the hunger. They didn't eat just a little bit and pass something on to someone else. The Bible says they ate till they were full. And not only that, that they were full, but they gathered up twelve baskets of fragments. God wants to give you the very best. God wants to fill you today. God doesn't want you to come to church and just be half empty and half full. He wants to fill you up completely. But you know what? You've got to be ready to receive it. There's a lot of people that come to church and say, Well, I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. You need to come with the attitude, Lord, I'm ready to be filled with your spirit. I'm ready to be filled with what you have for me today. But too many times we come and say, Yes, Lord, fill my cup, Lord. And we've got a little thimble and say, Here it is, Lord, fill my cup. We expect just that much from God. God says, I'm going to fill you with whatever you bring. You bring that thimble, guess what? I'm going to fill it up. This is why we need to have the mentality, the attitude that I'm going to come with that number two wash tub. You know what I'm saying? That big thing. Lord, I want you to fill it up. Fill me up completely because I want it. But too many times we come to church just saying, well, I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. I'm here because if I don't hear, somebody may call me and ask or this may happen or I don't want to make God mad. We should come expecting God to give us something. We should not have that idea of mediocrity. 
If you, again, go back and think about the nation of Israel, where they were at at this point, for 40 years they had been wandering in the desert. God had provided everything they had need of. Everything. He provided their food. He provided their shoes. He provided their clothes. He provided their protection. On and on we can look in what happened there with the nation of Israel. God was providing. God was giving to them. And yet, here they had the audacity to say, well, uh, where I'm at is good enough. I don't want your blessings anymore, God. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. That's kind of how we are sometimes. Lord, I don't want to move forward for you. I don't want to go forward anymore and do what you want me to do. I'm okay where I'm at. I'm going to sit right here. And you know what happens when people just sit, don't you? They sit, they soak, and they sour. We become pickles. Because we're ready just to get something and get something and get something. That nothing moves in us anymore. We become stagnant. And no one likes stagnant water. How many people have got ponds that got stagnant? Ugh, it's nasty. We see it all across this part of Kansas. Quite a few ponds that are just stagnant. They got green algae all over everything. And there's a lot of people in churches today that are sitting with green algae all over them because they're not doing anything for God. They're not moving. They're just sitting and doing nothing. Mediocrity is killing the church today. Apathy is something that has been sown through the church because no one wants to do anything. Everything's okay. I'm fine just like I am. Understand who you're affecting with your mediocrity. Those in your family, those that are around you, those that can see what you claim to be as a Christian, they're, they're again showing them that just being okay is fine, is good enough. But that's not what we need to be. We need to be excited for God. We need to be moving forward for God. We need to be doing what God has called us to do and not be mediocrity. But with that, mediocrity breeds mistrust. Think back for a moment to these tribes. We read in verse number 1 that they were the tribes of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. Who is Reuben and Gad? Where do these come from? Well, Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob and Leah. He was looked at as one that had great potential. Until he messed up. He slept with his father's concubine. And that ruined his family and his lineage. And that pushed him way down on the, the family tree, if you would. Gad was the seventh son of Joseph and Zilpha, Leah's handmaid. Both tribes had seen God's work in the nation of Israel, and yet they decided they couldn't trust Him anymore with His directions and what they were going to get as a part of this land. They had felt that since they had ranked so low on this family tree that the plot where they were living at now on the east side of the Jordan River was good enough, and I want to stay here. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said once, don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Too many people today have decided, I want what I want and I want it right now instead of waiting for God's blessings. We need to make sure that we're following God, waiting on Him to give us what He wants. Give us the very best that He has for us. That's exactly where we find the tribes that we're looking at today. What we have is good enough. God, I can't trust you anymore. I'm okay with what I have. We find many Christians, again, sitting in the same boat spiritually. I'm okay. I'm good enough. I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card. That's all that matters. That's not what matters. We are to continue to grow. We are to continue to strive to be what God wants us to be. Be careful doubting God. Don't let Satan influence you into thinking God doesn't care because He does. And He's proved it again and again and again. Neither tribe had reason to doubt God, but they did. Their doubting caused them to become discouraged followers. Number two this morning, we see discouraged followers. Look with me at verses 7 through 9. 
says, and therefore, and wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the land of Eshul and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord hath given them. Moses began to ask a question. Do you remember what your fathers did the last time we were here? They had gone over to the promised land to bring back a report. Instead of focusing on the good that God had prepared for them, they were focusing on the negative, the impossible things. And he says, and now you're doing the same thing. You're doing exactly what your fathers had done 40 years before. And you see what that got them. It seems that many Christians today will fight for everything but what God wants. It seems we all want to do is just complain about what's going on in the church. You know, uh, we were just in Alaska recently preaching at a camp. We were talking to some of the counselors that were there who were teenagers when we were there years ago. And they began to complain. The, the new campers were complaining how, how wet it was, how cold it was. And these counselors were like, what do you mean? What are you complaining for? We didn't even have heaters in our cabins back then. You got it all easy now. Everything's so smooth and this, that, and that. When it was raining, we got wet. When it was cold, we stayed cold. And you guys are complaining. It's easy to get involved with complaining about everything else. That's the easy thing to do, to complain. It's hard to look beyond that and see the positive that God has done in people's lives. It's hard to look beyond that and see what God can do. But again, that's what happens as we get caught up with the complaining. These two tribes didn't want to brave the battle. They didn't want to take a chance on what this so-called promised land looked like. And I'm sure their complaining discouragement spilled over into other people as well. In other camps, causing dissension among other leaders. This happens more than you realize. I even see this in our own church. I see how people's attitude affects our worship and our time together. Be careful, complaining will cause others to become those discouraged followers. They complained about their situation. They also cowered at what they saw. You may recall reading the report that was brought by the 12 spies back in Numbers chapter 13. Verse number 23 says this, And they came unto the brook of Eshul. That's exactly what we were just talking about. And cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes that they buried between two upon a staff and they brought the pomegranates and the figs. Could you imagine having a cluster of grapes so big had to be carried by two people? That's exactly what they were bringing out. The pomegranates, the figs, all the great things God had provided for them if they would just simply take it. But unfortunately, they could only focus on the negative things. They reported on the giants of the land that were living in the, the, the walled cities. Instead of asking God for help to guide them, they went back to their old ways of murmuring and complaining. If we would keep record of all that God does for us, all the, 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 the benefits, the blessings that God has given us, then we could conquer every obstacle Satan places in front of us. If we could focus on the good things, if we could remember all the blessings that God has given us, we would never think about 
the bad. We would stop complaining. But again, this is their mentality of looking at the bad things. The discouragement. The disappointment. And Moses is recapping this previous response. He shares with them, number three, the disobedient believers. Number three this morning, disobedient believers, as we look at verses 10 and 11. It says, And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that come up out of Egypt were twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. These tribes wanted things their own way instead of what God had for them. Moses shared how God became angry with the decisions not to follow His instructions and take the promised land. And because of their obedience, God brought about judgment. Everyone 20 years old and older, except for Caleb and Joshua, would not see the promised land, and they would die in the wilderness. What if you knew when you were going to die? What would you do? What would you change? Would you change anything in your life? Would you try to, to live a different way? Would you try to do something for somebody else? What would you do? And a better question, why would you wait till you knew you were going to die? Why not do it today? Why not do it right now? Too many times I think we get caught up thinking, well, I'll do that but. Well, I'd go here but. Instead of saying, this is what I need to do and I'm going to do it. You know, if, when people pass, we often hear the, the phrase, well, if I would have known, then I would have done this or that. Can I tell you something? We're all going to die. Your memory verse this week tells us that, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, as it is appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. We're all going to die. So, with that idea, start living life now like you're supposed to. There's a lot of things that we know we're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of things that we should be doing, but we're not because we don't have anything to push us in that direction. Some of us need some motivation. Some of us don't have that, that, that drive internally to do whatever it is God wants us to do. And we think, well, I'll do it if I knew there's a deadline. There's a lot of people that work better with deadlines, and I understand that. But we need to be busy for God. We need to be doing what God would have us to do right now, not waiting until we know when we're going to die. Because no man knows the hour when the Lord could return. No man knows when it's their time is up. This is why we need to be busy right now. Don't be wishing that you had done more as you stand before God. Because every one of us will have to stand before God. Every one of us will have to give an account for our lives. But we understand that these disobedient followers... We're following their wishes and their wants instead of God's. Except for the, the few that were not called or not given that uh, curse to die. We look in Job chapter 37 verse 23. It says, touching the Almighty, I cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and plenty in justice. He would not afflict. Think about the justice of God. That word justice means God is right, both morally and figuratively. He is righteous and deals with each of us properly according to His law. Judgment was for those that were going against God's command. And His justice was given to Caleb and Joshua as we find there at the end of verse number 12. 
because they were following holy. Each one of us must daily choose to commit to God. That's a daily choice that we must make. Satan will try to derail you and get you off track and, and think about this or think about that. But we've got to wake up every morning and say, Today I'm going to serve the Lord. Today I'm going to do what He wants me to do. Today I'm going to follow Him. It's a daily choice. Salvation is a one-time event, which I'm thankful for. But sanctification is an ongoing process that we must continually follow after God and do what He wants us to do. I know many believers who were faithful at one point in their lives. They used to follow God. They used to be in church faithfully. They would read their Bible. They would pray. They were the ones you can count on. And now they won't even darken the door of a church because they did not make that decision to daily follow the Lord. Tomorrow you may wake up and say, well, I'm not going to serve the Lord today as much as I did yesterday because, you know, yesterday was Sunday and I did that. So today I'm going to just slide a little bit more. You come to Tuesday and I'm going to slide a little bit more than Monday. Wednesday, just a little bit more. And you're going to backslide and backslide until before you know it, you won't even be in church any longer. And those of you right now that are saying, I would never do that. That won't be me. You're the ones I'm concerned about. We've got to make it a choice every day. Today, I'm going to follow God. Today, I'm going to honor Him with my life. Today, I'm going to seek His word. Today I'm going to get in my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fellowship with my God. Every day we've got to make that decision. A lot of people get out of church. They can blame whoever it is or whatever it is. This person did this or that person did that. They treated me wrong. They did this. Well, if that's the reason you're coming to church, you're coming for the wrong reasons. We've got to come to worship God. We are here to exalt Him and lift Him up. We're not here to get the accolades, the pats on the back, the attaboys from this person or that person. We serve because we want to bless God. We teach Sunday school because we want to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We get up to sing because we want to be able to use the talent God has given us. We do all these things to glorify God. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So again, we've got to understand... What we do, our decisions affect other people. But as we continue to look here, we find, lastly, the direction of the obedient. The direction of the obedient, as we look at verses 16 through 18, the Bible says, And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds for our cattle and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto the place, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. The tribes of Reuben and Gad decided to follow through with their end of the promise that had been made as the entire nation come together. Each tribe had told, been told that they were to go into the promised land, that they would have to fight and conquer it all before they could settle down. This is why Moses was asking that question back in verse number 6. Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? When we come to church, we are here to learn to fight. We are here to learn the battle tactics of the war. We are here to learn the commands used in battle. We are joined together to learn about one another, to help one another, and to encourage one another. And I need your help. I'm encouraged when we see people come and get involved in church. I'm excited when people 
get saved and get on fire for God and want to serve in whatever way. It's great to hear how people step up and say, well, this person's on vacation. I'm going to step in and fill in for them or I'm going to do this. I'm going to help here. I want to help there. That's an encouragement to me. And it should encourage each and every one of us. But these tribes from the very beginning were thinking about self and what they wanted. It's hard to fight with someone who's backslidden. When you're on the battlefield, when you have your comrades in arms next to you, it's no longer about you, it's about the group. It's about everyone. And when you're not there, when you've backslidden, you've created confusion. You've created problems. You begin to question yourself, did I do something wrong? Did I say something that offended them? Am I not good enough? And these are all questions I've asked since I've seen people slowly drift away. These are the thoughts that I have come to and asked myself as I've seen people drift or have I seen reactions during a church service. And this may have been how Moses felt and the other tribes as they were deciding to charge into battle with each other. And then this group decides to change their mind. Well, I will go. Well, no, I'm not going to go. Well, okay, then I'll go. Are they going to be trustworthy? Can you count on them? Because my life may depend on them. Because of their selfishness, these two tribes didn't get to enjoy the promised land, but they did get a change of heart and agree to fight with them. I don't know about you, but I want to know who has my back when the fight is on. I want to know who I can trust. Because the battle begins, there's going to be a lot of confusion. There's a lot of problems. This is why we have to rely on one another. We've got to have confidence in each other. These two tribes, Reuben and Gad, decided not to take the land that was promised to them. They wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. They decided because of what they have, this is great and this is where I'm going to be. But that decision also brought somebody else alongside them. Half the tribe of Manasseh. We find in verse 33 that Moses gave the children of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh land to possess, but not the promised land. When we sin, it not only affects us, but it can easily draw others to do the same. So ask yourself, is it worthy bringing someone else with you? Is your decision to turn away from God really worth the consequences? A lot of people today will say, well, I'm not backslidden, I'm here in church, and I'm glad you are. But what's going to happen next week? The week after that? The week after that? Are you going to make a decision to live for God each and every day? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning.